dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. This world has nothing that compares to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people who get so enamored and so uh, wrapped up in trying to gain things in this world. And they spend so little time in seeking to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that we would have this heartbeat, that I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords. And what a great song. Thank you, Miss Evelyn. Great job this morning. I threw a song on her that's not sung very often, so I always appreciate when she comes through on those. And uh, I appreciate so much the gift God's given her with and helping her uh, with that. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning, if you will, to the book of James chapter 4. James chapter 4. <clears throat> we spent some time in Sunday school doing uh, about half of the book <laughs> survey. Uh, it's It's got some great stuff in it, and we've spent a good bit of time digesting some of it this morning. We'll finish, Lord willing, next week, um, unless the rapture happens between now and then, and then we'll just let the Lord teach the lesson, I guess, at that point. Uh, he'd do far better than I would. Um, let's go to uh, verse number 1 of chapter 4. We're going to read down through verse number 10 together. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit that yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep, and your laughter will be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Father, I pray that you would bless in uh, this service. Speak to our hearts. May we understand the, the depths and the truth of this, uh, this particular passage. And, Lord, how it so instructs us in so many ways. How we're to live our lives in the day that we live. And I pray that you would help us to have a willing spirit, to have a yieldedness to the teaching of your word. And so, Father, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) In just a few hours from now, we're going to begin having vacation Bible school. One of the lessons that we are teaching on is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night and how God used these two things for three primary purposes. One was to lead His people. Uh, One of them was to defend His people. 
And one of them was to show and to give them the presence of God in their midst. In the day that you and I live, God has given you and I two things that do the same things. It leads us, it protects us, and it causes us to know of His presence being with us. The two things that He's given to you and I today are not a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, but He has given us His Word, and He has given us His Holy Spirit. And these two things produce the same thing in our lives that He gave to the children of Israel when they were wandering through the wilderness. And James, in speaking to the Hebrews that had trusted Christ as their Savior, that were scattered, the Bible says in James 1, 1 and 2, it talks about that he was writing to the Hebrews that were Christians that were scattered around the world. And the reason they were scattered was because there was great trial, great persecution, great affliction that was coming on them. And the book was written, the letter was written, in fact, it's probably one of the earliest written New Testament books that we have. (coughs) It was written for the purpose of exhorting those to have genuine faith and that the trying of their faith and the temptation that comes their way, uh, how their genuine faith would cause them to respond in those situations. The entire book is dealing with the, the, the Christian's idea of having now been saved by faith, that they now live by that same genuine faith. That being justified in the eyes of God by faith, they are now justified in the eyes of mankind by the works that they have. And uh, that this is their testimony. And he talks about the fact that there is a great conflict that happens, the temptation that comes their way and how they're to withstand these things. As we get to chapter number 4, he says, From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lust that, notice this, war, notice where the war is located, and you're what? In your members. So, the warring that he's talking about here is not a war uh, between nations. It's not a war between uh, families. It's not a war between uh, some marriages, a husband and wife. Uh, these aren't the types of wars that James is speaking of here, but he's speaking here of the wars that take place in our members. Well, what war takes place in our members? Understand this, that when we accepted Christ as our Savior, when we put our faith in Him and said, Lord, we want You uh, to save us from our sin, we're trusting You at Your Word, and we are putting our faith in You, and uh, forgive us of our sins, and, and we've made that decision for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell us. Uh, Paul told the Corinthian church, What Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. And so His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and when that happens, along with the Spirit in us that He quickened or made alive that was dead in trespasses and sins, these things now begin to war in our members with our old man, our old nature, our old flesh, if you would, if you would do it so far as to call it that, and that this this warring in the members is the war that James is speaking here. He says, from whence cometh these wars? Whence cometh these fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts that war in your members? Now, I want you to notice there, there's dealing with the, the idea of the word lust here. And oftentimes when we hear the word lust, we think in terms of just... Uh, uh, 
uh, sexual or immoral behavior in that aspect uh, between a man and a woman. But, but the, the lust that is spoken of here is used generically to speak of the, the appetites of the flesh. In fact, we're going to see here in just a few moments that it's the enticements of the world that bring temptation to us to cause us to be drawn away from the Lord and the truth of His Word. And so these are the lusts that it's talking about, the appetites of the old man, the old nature. And he makes a statement here that these lusts are the things that, that are warring in our members. And he makes this statement in verse 2, and I want you to follow with me on this for a moment. He says, "...you lust and have not." In other words, you have that desire for, for, for contentment and for gain, and you have it not. "...you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain." Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. Now, I want you to notice two things about the lust that James is dealing with here that causes and brings about this war in our members. The lusts of the, uh, of the flesh that he's speaking of here, first of all, are, are dealing with the wrong objects. We're desiring the wrong things. In Colossians chapter 3, uh, Paul writes this, Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. The idea being that when we get saved, uh, the songwriter wrote it this way years ago, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. John, the Apostle John, wrote it this way, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these are the things that are warring that James is speaking of here. Now, I want you to notice here that this lusting that James speaks of here has the wrong objects. We're desiring things that appeal to the flesh. I want what I want. And by the way, whether we are saved or lost, this is a battle we fight in the day we live. There are so many. In fact, Paul warned Timothy. He said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him, hath chosen him to be a good soldier. And the reason for that is this. It is so easy to become encumbered with the, 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 the things that our body has appetites for, because the world is on the other side giving all this enticement, making it look so good, and trying to pull and, and to draw the hearts of Christians away from that which would draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that stunts the growth of a Christian, one of the things that will cause us to stagnate as a Christian and cause there to be a war in our members when it comes to the issue of temptations in our life, is the idea that we begin to allow the lust of the flesh have more control over us and have more access to our minds and our thoughts than we should. <coughs> Years ago, my dad shared a, an illustration he had heard. And I, I don't know where he had heard it from, but uh, and, and I don't know if it's a true story or not, but uh, the way he portrayed it, he, he made it sound as though it were a true story. But it was a story of a missionary who had gone uh, over to, I believe it was Africa or one of these places where they had tribes that had never... Uh, known the gospel, they'd never heard the gospel before. And this this uh, uh, missionary went into the tribe and, and he shared the gospel with them. And many of the people in the tribe got saved, and the chief of the tribe got saved. And they did a great job there, and, and God was doing a great work in their hearts for a number of weeks. And 
Finally, he told the chief, he said, I, I've got to move on. There's other tribes I need to share the gospel with. And he said, but I will come back. And he left for a period of time. He went and reached some other tribes. And eventually he made his way back around to the tribe that he had uh, been there at the onset. And he met with the chief and he asked him how it was going. And the chief said, he said, how are you doing in your Christian life? And the chief said this. He said, I feel like there's a big black dog inside of me that always wants to do wrong. And there's a big white dog inside of me that only wants to do right. And he said, I feel like they're constantly fighting with each other. And the, the uh, missionary asked him, he said, well, which one wins? And the old tribal chief said this, the one that I feed the most. And the truth is, in the battle of our members, and we all face it, the one that will win, the lust of the flesh, or the, 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 the seeking of walking in the Spirit, the one that we feed the most is the one that will win. And James is speaking of this. He's warning these, these Hebrew Christians that are under affliction. They, they certainly have cause to have their faith shaken. They certainly have cause to, to be, to be uh, trying to, to gain the friendship of the world so that they won't have to suffer the great persecution they're going through at this time. They certainly have reason for this. And, and, and so James is saying here, listen, folks, you need to be careful because this war that's going on is a war between your old nature, the lust that's in you, and you're putting your desires on the wrong objects. You're putting them on the things of this world when what you ought to be doing is putting your, your desires and your affection on the things of God. And the one thing I would tell us today is this, that when it comes to the war in our members today, we have the same battle. That we begin to lust. And it doesn't always have to be about sexual impurities or immorality in that sense, but anything that would draw us away from our walk with the Lord. Anything that this world would use to pull us and entice us away from the truth of Scripture would be a lust that we would fight. And we begin to put our appetites and our desires on the wrong objects. I want you to notice also this about our lusts that not only are they focused on the wrong object, but they're focused on the wrong source. When we begin to lust after the flesh, you can mark it down. It's always because of the enticement of the world. In fact, take a moment with me, if you will, and turn to 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter 2, I just quoted this one for you a minute ago, but I want you to, I want you to see this, and I want you to hold on to the truth of it for a moment. In fact, we may even come back and re, uh, uh, refer to it again in a moment as we get a little bit further down. But 1 John... Uh, chapter number 2, and I want you to see what John writes <clears throat> in, uh, in verse number 15. First John chapter 2 and uh, verse number 15. He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, can I tell you this? James says that, that this warring that goes on, that this, this flesh desire, this, this lust that we have in our hearts... The, the, the friendship of this world is at enmity with God. They, they are opposed to one another. They are in constant battle. In fact, Paul says that we're in a, a, a spiritual warfare. And the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of wickedness in high places. And these are battles that go on, and they are constantly opposed to God. And so John writes it this way. He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot love the one 
and say, I love the other, because they are absolute opposites and actual enemies of one another. The Bible tells us you cannot serve two masters. You can't straddle the fence. You can't come to church on Sunday and dress nice and carry a Bible and sing the songs and say amen and then go out and love the things of the world throughout the week and say that they are in communion with each other. Because they are not. You're going to love one, and the Bible says when you do, you're going to despise the other. I love what is said of Job in the Old Testament when God is speaking to Satan. He says, Hast thou considered my servant Job an upright man, one that eschewth evil? In other words, he says, this servant of mine, he loves me. And because he loves me, he hates everything that's evil. And folks, in the world we live today, we need to understand this, that we cannot love both. We're going to love one or the other, but we cannot love both. And what a lot of us are wasting our time doing is trying to get the two to merge together and say, well, I want to have the love of God in my heart, but I also want to love the things of this world. And I tell you, they don't match. According to the Bible, they are not to be merged together. In fact, the Bible tells us if we love the things that are in the world, if we love this world's philosophies, John said it this way, the love of the Father is not in us. We don't love Him as we should. Look what else he says, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and I want you to notice this, a peculiar thing in the list of these things of lust. He talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, and then he introduces a whole other idea here. The pride. The pride of life. Why? Because when we have pride, we want what we want. And our lust tends to reign in our bodies. When we're prideful, when we do not have humility, when we do not see God as He is, and when we do not see ourselves the way that God sees us, we begin to say, I want what I want, and who is God to tell me otherwise? And we may not say it in those many words, but we often say it in our actions, don't we? Notice what else he says. And all that is in the world passeth away, and the lusts thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Can I tell you this? Jesus taught in His earthly ministry that we're not to lay up treasures here on earth. You know why we're not? Because He says, where rust and moth doth corrupt, and where thieves break through. In fact, in another place, He says, they're going to be tried one day, these works that we do. And some are going to burn like wood, hay, and stubble. But He tells us, rather, we are to lay up our treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. And henceforth, the Bible says there's great reward for those that lay up things in heaven. This is what John is speaking of when he talks about the fact that these things are going to pass away. That he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Why? Because the works that we do for God are things that will last eternity. They'll last forever and ever and ever. Now back to James chapter 4, if you will, for a moment as we are trying to understand here what it is that... James is trying to teach these Christians that are scattered because of their persecution, that are, that are in a position where they are tempted to abandon some of the things that they have stood for simply because they don't want to be persecuted anymore. He tells them in verse number 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the, what? Enemy of God. By the way, 
The reverse can be said too. If we are a friend of God, there's no doubt we will have to be an enemy of the world. You cannot serve both of them. He cannot be friends with both of them. Now, he calls them here adulterers and adulteresses. And what happens when we read this passage is we say, well, I'm not involved in any sexual sin. I'm not doing things outside of the bonds of marriage. That's not the adultery that is being spoken of here. He's not speaking of a physical relationship between a husband and a wife. He's speaking here of the adultery of turning to Christ and putting our faith in Him and then at some point forsaking that and turning back to the things of the world. Oftentimes, he spoke of this way to the nation of Israel. When they would turn from him to their idols, he would call that, that, that adultery in their eyes, spiritual adultery. And this is what James is referring to here. He's not referring to a, a relationship of a husband and wife, but a relationship between someone who has trusted Christ, who is living for the world. And he says, you adulterers and adulteresses. So it applies to the battle that every single one of us, you and I, that are sitting here in this room today, it's referring to the battle that is warring in our members every single day. He says, "...ye adulterers and adulteress, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit dwelleth in us, uh, the Spirit that dwelleth in us, speaking of our old nature, lusteth to envy?" Well, up until now, it sounds like we're, we're between a rock and a hard place. Because the truth of the matter is, and I think you would all have to agree with me on this, this battle is something that sometimes may even seem to be insurmountable for us. We live in a day where we are bombarded on every side in our senses, the eye gate, the ear gate, the wickedness of this world, the enticements of this world. Young people are, are leaving our churches, and when they get out from under mom and dad's uh, homes, they are leaving churches and living their own lives because the lust of the world, the enticement of the world, is so great for them. I will say this, there are grown adults leaving the pews of our churches and leaving the things of following after righteousness and after holiness and after godliness and saying, I want no more part of that life. I want to live my life with liberty and freedom. I want to, I want to have the, the lusts of the world in my life. I want to be able to have the things that all my friends have out here in the world. And we tend to gravitate to those things. Why? Because it's a great battle. And James says this war, it goes on in our hearts. And we think that, boy, if we follow after the enticements of the world, if I could just get there, I'd just have a wonderful wonderful life. It'd be great there. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago. When I first started working years ago with young people, I started working in Jacksonville, Florida with inner city kids. I'm talking about kids that lived on the streets, many of them. Uh, kids that could not uh, come home on Fridays and, and stay in their homes over the weekend. Their parents would kick them out in the street and say, don't come back till Monday when it's time for school. These are the kind of kids we dealt with, and we had uh, on Saturday nights we had a Bible club for them that uh, we would teach them the Bible, and we would uh, uh, have a lesson for them, and we would preach to them, and we'd have a short activity, and we'd feed them a snack, and we'd spend some time <coughs> encouraging them in the things of the Lord. And we did this every every week, and we did we started it. We had three young people started the first week we had it. We had three teenagers show up. Within about five or six months, we were running 110, 150 teenagers from inner city Jacksonville. And not one time did we, did we put stipulations on them that you have to do this in order to come to our program. We just wanted them to come so we could teach them some things from the Bible. 
And boy, they were excited. And these kids would come and they'd get saved. And then they'd sit under the teaching and the preaching of God's Word. And it was amazing how many of them began to say, I want to live a life that is more holy. I want to have some standards in my life. And it wasn't because we, we taught them that, hey, you have to have these standards to please God. It was just a work that God did in their hearts. They were longing and hungering and thirsting for the things that they could find in Scripture. Boy, when God does a change in your heart, that's far better than when pastor makes you change something. Because that becomes now a transforming work rather than a conforming work. And boy, I remember when I got hired at a church to be the youth pastor after I graduated high school and I th- or college, and I thought, boy, this is going to be exciting. If God did a work with these inner city kids whose parents don't love them and don't care for them and they not they weren't t- taken to church and they didn't know their Bibles and if God did such amazing work in their heart then boy I can't wait to get in here to the youth group and here are these kids they've grown up with the the Bible and they've grown up in Christian homes and I got there expecting God to just bring great revival and I got there and no there wasn't great revival in fact it was amazing to me how many of the young people that were in the youth group in our churches were longing to live like the world I was talking to somebody about this the other day and I was explaining that to them and I, I, I it took me a few years but I think I understood why The reason was this, when we worked with the kids that were inner city in the Jacksonville, Florida area, they had already gone down the road of following the world. And they had hit rock bottom. They had found that that is not where the answers were. And they said, we're going to go to where we think the answer is, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I went to this church that had these young people there that had been raised by Christian parents and were put in Christian schools and brought in their Christian churches. And one of the things that we were guilty of and we were, uh, that was happening in that uh, time period was we were, we were Christianizing a bunch of unsaved and carnal Christians. We were making, we were whitewashing the outside of the sepulcher, but we weren't reaching the heart. And these kids, they were, they were made to conform to some things outwardly, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but, but, but we weren't reaching the heart in the process. We were leaving the heart untouched, and these kids were looking and saying, boy, the enticement of the world, it looks glamorous, it looks glitzy, and here I am under these strict rules that mom and dad make me live by. And boy, the world doesn't have that. There's liberty there, there's freedom there. And they said, that's where happiness is. And I thought, oh, if I could only bring a bunch of my teenagers from Jacksonville, Florida, and stand them in the pulpit of that church and talk to those young people and say, listen, we've been there, and that is not where happiness is. In fact, James talks about that here. Let's look at it, shall we? Look with me in verse number 2. He said, ye lust and have not. This lust of the flesh, you give in to it, you think that's where the answers are, so you allow this lust to go in your life, and you have it not. The thing that you're searching for, it's not there. Look what else he says. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. This desire that the world entices the Christian with, where we think, boy, if I could just have this liberty and not be under so many rules, I could just have happiness in my life and joy in my life. James says it's not there. You try for it, you work for it, you labor for it, you kill for it, and you can't obtain it. I don't know how many times I've watched people who have gone a carnal way. Maybe they profess to know Christ as their Savior, but have lived after the world. And I've watched them as they thought, boy, that's where my happiness is going to begin. 
And a few years later, you see them. They're one of the most miserable people you've ever met. Didn't find the happiness they were looking for. Didn't find the satisfaction, the contentment, the peace that they were longing for. Why? Because they were not only looking at the wrong object, they were looking at the wrong source. They were looking to the world. They weren't looking to the things of the Lord. Does that mean everything in the Christian life is great? The Bible says, "...the ain't all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." There's no doubt there's going to be problems in the Christian life. In fact, Jesus told His disciples, He says, "...take My yoke upon you and learn of Me." There's a yoke to the Christian life. But aren't you glad that the Savior said, "...but My yoke is easy and My burden is light." This is where the great joy of the Christian life comes. This is where walking after the Spirit, giving Him 100% of our life and absolute control, yielding our, our will completely over to Him, this is where the greatest joy in the Christian life comes from. Look what else he says in verse 2. He says, you fight and war, and you have not, because you ask not. You're looking to the wrong source. You're following after your lust. And all you got to do is come to me and ask. Notice what he says. In verse number 6, after he talks about all this warfare that goes on, this great struggle, this great battle, and I'm sure as these readers of the Hebrews that were scattered abroad with the persecution, as they're reading these words, they can relate. And they read through this, and suddenly they get to verse number 6. But He, not the world, not our fleshly lusts, but He giveth more grace. Wherefore God saith, look what He says here, verse 6. Wherefore God resisteth, wherefore he says God resisteth the what? The proud. But giveth grace to the humble. How in the world are we going to how in the world are we going to gain victory in this battle? We've got to humble ourselves. Isn't it interesting that when John spoke of it, he said there the things that he said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the what? Pride of life. And then we get to James. He speaks of the same thing. He speaks of the lust that wars in our members. He speaks of the fact that these have turned from walking after the things of the Lord to walking after their lust and their flesh. And he calls them adulterers and adulteresses for this. And he says, but God giveth more grace. The answers aren't where you think it is, but God giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. I'm thankful that God is willing to give more grace, aren't you? These people that had lived a carnal life and were following after the things of the flesh, God said, all you got to do is come to me and ask, and I'll give you some more grace. And oh, it'll be joy to your hearts. Let's see what else he says here. But he saith, he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. That's the battle, isn't it? 
the enticement of the world, the pull of the world, the lust of our old flesh nature, and submitting to God. That's the battle. That's the battle. It wars in our members. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. This is a peculiar verse, verse 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. What a verse to Christians. Hey, if you're joyful in your life, we want you to be mourning and sorrowful. Oh, wait a minute. That's not what, that's not what James is speaking of here. You've got to understand, in the context of what we're dealing with here, he's speaking to people who have followed the flesh. He's speaking to people who have followed after the world, who have been friends with the world. And they thought that's where their joy and their happiness is. And he says, listen, if that's the case, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. You need to cry out to God, but you need to do it with a humble heart. He said, if that's the case, this laughter, this, this joy, this, this loving living in the flesh, you need, to, you need to begin to mourn over that. God considers one of the great sacrifices not someone who outwardly does some kind of works. But the psalmist said that the greatest sacrifice we can give to God is a broken and a contrite heart. To be broken over our own sinful condition. And James is saying, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. What's he speaking of here? He's speaking of humility. Because he says in the very next verse, humble yourselves therefore in the sight of God, in the sight of the Lord, excuse me. And he shall what? Lift you up. He shall lift you up. There's Christians I've known and I've watched it over the years. And sad to say, there have even been moments in my life where I have turned and walked down that road for a while and learned that that is a hard road. The world makes it look good, it's glamorous. It's enticing. They say, oh, you don't want to have to be under all the... the, Oh, that Bible, it's so strict. There's so many rules to it. Come over here, we're having a party. We're having fun. We can do whatever we want. Every man in our side of things can do that which is right in his own eyes. That's where you'll find happiness. No. James says that's just a war that takes place in your members. You'll find out that you're going to war and you're going to kill and you're going to desire to have and you're not going to be able to obtain it. Oh, you may laugh with frivolity for a while. There may be pleasure of sin for a season. But there is no great joy. And James tells him here, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. He's not talking to the lost here. 
Look with me in James 1 for a moment. Let's see who he's writing to. Verse number 1, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. He's writing to Hebrew Christians that are scattered abroad because of persecution. And he tells them, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Why were they considered to be double-minded? Because they were professing Christ. They were saying, we want to follow Him. We really want to follow the world too. We love the world. In fact, we want to be friends with the world. And God says that they're double minded. He tells them they need to be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let their laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He shall lift you up. Can I tell you this? When God lifts us up and puts us where He wants us to be, it is far greater than any plan that we have for ourselves. There is greater joy. There is greater satisfaction. There is greater contentment. There is greater peace. You say, is it easy life? Oh, it may not be easy. It may be a hard life. But you'll have joy. You'll have peace. You'll have contentment. When I was just a young boy, a family came to our church. I, I remember seeing them. And uh, it was a husband and wife. I think they had three boys, if I remember correctly. But they had several young children. And they were just going and they'd been on the mission field for a couple of years. They'd just been... Uh, fairly new missionaries, and they were back on furlough, and they were uh, talking about the mission field. And uh, the husband was uh, a, a fairly good-sized fella and, and muscular, but the wife, I remember she was so small, just real tiny, real short, real petite. <coughs> and we had a question and answer time for <coughs> the missionary and his wife at a luncheon. And uh, the husband had told of all the dangers there were on the mission field. Poisonous animals and things that uh, could kill them. He talks about some of the close brushes with death that, that death that their children had had by being close to these animals, and God had spared them and kept the animals away from them, and the insects and the snakes and all the different things that could kill them. And one of the questions was asked to the wife at the luncheon and said, are you scared for your family, for your boys? And I'll never forget hearing her say this. She said, the safest place that we can be is in the very center of God's will. Was it an easy life? No, no, probably wasn't. But oh, there was joy there. There was peace. There was contentment. James, James is trying to help these folks. 
He said, you're warring. It's going on in your members. You're warring between your flesh. You're warring between walking in the Spirit and the things of the Lord. It's a difficult battle. It's a battle that, to be honest with you, you and I can't win unless God helps us. And that's why he said, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. He tells us to humble ourselves. To be afflicted and mourn over our carnal, sinful flesh. And turn to God. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Follow after Him. Humble yourselves and let God exalt you. Let Him lift you up. Let Him bring great joy and peace to your life. Folks, we're living in a day, and the application is simply this. We're living in a day where I don't know in my lifetime there's ever been any stronger appeal and enticement of this world to get Christians to follow after it than there is in the day that we live. We are pressured, we are criticized, we are scorned, we are encouraged, we are tempted, we are enticed. And that battle goes on every day. The only way we will have victory over it is to humble ourselves and to come to God and say, Lord, I need victory in this area. I need victory in this area. Help me to leave the things of this world. Help me to submit myself to You so the devil will flee from me. Help me to draw nigh to You so that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. We need a revival in our country of Christians that will say, Lord, I need your help. Because I am in a war every single day. And I need your strength. Let's stand together, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know how God has spoken to your heart today. The goal has been to, to instruct and to try to be an encouragement to Christians.